John 11 is where we're at. We're going to jump right in because we got a big text. We have a big passage, and uh, I want to make sure we have time for everything. So John chapter 11, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was, Martha who, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? 
Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Father, we marvel at the power, the uncomparable glory and majesty of your son, Jesus. And Father, we long for and we want to see your glory and to experience your power and to be resurrected in, in new life and to, to look forward to a physical resurrection to come. Father, we ask that you would lead us this morning to think about death and life and, and resurrection and glory and hope. God, help us to think about those things according to your word according to the scriptures. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. According to the internet, there are 56 million people who will die every year. Um, that turns out to be 163,898 people will die every day somewhere in the world. That turns out to be about 1.9, so almost two people Every second, um, we have a mission partner uh, who who we really love, and he does this thing. He, he he snaps his fingers like this, you know, about two per second. And uh, what that's supposed to illustrate is is people entering into eternity with or without Jesus Christ around the globe. Many of them who have not had access to the gospel. Sometimes we'll just be. Uh, we'll just be talking about something like talking about, you know, should we do this? Should we do that? Should we do this? And, and he just starts snapping, you know, and, and everybody knows what he means. Like these are the people that are, that are entering into eternity. Most of them without Jesus Christ. It's right to fear death in, in the sense of death is horrible. Um, I think by nature, we fear it in the sense that we, even if we don't fear our own death, we fear losing our spouse or our parents or our children or our friends. Death is infused into the greatest tragedies and hurts and pain that we can experience in this life. And yet, here in this passage, Jesus lets a guy die. And, and by the way, not just any guy, a, a guy that he loves, Okay, if it's one thing that John 11 makes really clear is that Jesus loves Lazarus, Jesus loves Mary, Jesus loves Martha. He says it three times, three times in John 11, it points out specifically, verse 3, verse 5, and verse 36, that Jesus loved them. He loved Lazarus, he loved Mary, he loved Martha. It says that 
three different times that he, that he loved this family. Several instance, instances in John 11 describe how much they loved Jesus, how, how in, in, in verse two, it describes how Mary was the one who anointed Jesus' feet before his burial. We're gonna get to that in, in John 12. Jesus came to see them often. He stayed with them. These were his close friends. And now Lazarus is sick and not like, like sinus infection sick, not like he's, uh, he had a bad burrito at the, at the convenience store and, and he's, got, you know, he's got stomach issues. No, 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 he, he's really ill. In other words, I don't know. Maybe his appendix burst, maybe he had a heart attack, maybe he had a stroke, maybe he had a brain tumor. We don't know, but we know it's urgent. And in verse three, the sisters send word to Jesus, the one you love. They're reminding him again, Lord, the one you love is sick. He's ill, okay? They're, they're implying, Jesus, would you do something about it? They have enough respect for Jesus. I think it's great that they, they don't feel they have to say, please come, you know? I mean, that, that, that's, if someone called you, like I kind of picture this, if someone called you and said, your mama is really ill, there would not be an implication of, okay, let me know how it goes. There'd be an implication of, you need to come, right? And, and that's the implication. They know it's dangerous for Jesus. They know it's, he's risking his life to come there. But, but they're like, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Now, why, why do they call Jesus? Because they'd seen his glory, Right? They'd seen his power over demons and disease. They watched him heal paralysis and blindness and demon possession. In fact, as we read the Gospels, there was no one that Jesus couldn't heal, right? Like, like there, there isn't an instance in the Gospel where it's like, well, this was too hard, you know? This guy's just too far gone. I mean, ne never do we read in the, in the Gospels someone coming to Jesus and him saying, you know what, sorry, you know, if, you, if you'd have come to me a month earlier, I might have been able to do something, you know, but, I just, you know, it's just too, no. Never was that the case, not with Jesus. In fact, he doesn't even have to come. You remember the story in, in Mark cha or Matthew chapter 8, I believe it's in John 4 as well, but in, in Matthew chapter 8, it goes into detail about the centurion whose servant is sick and, and he comes to Jesus and Jesus is like, okay, let's go. And the guy's like, look, you don't even need to come to my house. I don't need you to come. You don't need to see him. You don't need to touch him. You just say the word. And Jesus is like, that's the guy right there, man. He knows, he believes in me and Jesus says the word and, and, and the guy is healed and he never goes there. Geography is not a problem for the son of God. So Jesus doesn't even have to come, okay? And so normally we would suppose that because Jesus loves them and because he, he would not want to let him die, that Jesus would, would hear that Lazarus was sick. He would either come immediately or he would say the word. He would heal him from a distance. But intentionally, Jesus does something else. He delays. Look at verse 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Isn't that a weird verse? That Jesus really loved him, so when he heard they were ill, he didn't do anything. He stayed put. He didn't move. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't respond. He let Lazarus die. Now you want to twist this up even further. Look at verse 15. As the disciples are asking him about this, verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And in verse 15, he says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Not only did Jesus let him die, not only did Jesus hear that he was sick and stay there two more days and not respond to the call, but now Jesus says, I'm glad that I didn't go. I'm glad that Jesus, or that, that Lazarus has died. So we got a quandary here this morning, don't we? 
If Jesus loves these people, which it clearly says he does, and if Jesus has the power to keep Lazarus from sickness and death, then why does he let him die? Why doesn't he speak? Why didn't he heal? Why didn't he go there? How do we reconcile Jesus' love for this family and his actions, or rather, his inaction? How do we reconcile that Jesus says he's glad that he didn't heal Lazarus for their sake? In other words, when it's like for your sake, what he's saying is, man, this is the best thing for you guys. This is the best thing for the disciples, for Mary, for Martha, for you, for me, for Lazarus. Why? 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 Why would Jesus say that? Well, he, he tells us in verse 15, he says, it, this is, is for the glory of God that you might believe. We've already seen this once in John, haven't we? Remember John 9, the, the guy that was born blind and the disciples were like, hey, who sinned? Like, who did a bad thing that this guy was born blind? And Jesus is like, nobody did a bad thing. This is for the glory of God. Right? And he's saying a very similar thing here in John 11. He's saying that I'm glad that Lazarus is dead for your sake because you're going to see the glory of God and you're going to believe. In other words, there's a greater value in you seeing the glory of God and believing than Lazarus living a few more days. So let's, let's, let's talk just, just briefly here. There's really only two points here. How could Jesus say these things about Lazarus' death? He could, I believe, because of two reasons. Number one, because death is redefined for believers, okay? If you're a believer here today, death is not what death was, okay? Like death has taken on a new definition. Lazarus is a believer. We know that he and his sisters were followers of Jesus. They hosted Jesus. They supported Jesus. Uh, John 12 opens up with Lazarus reclining at the table with Jesus. Um, this would not have been true for an unbeliever, all right? For it, it, this story would be different if this guy were an unbeliever, all right? Because for an unbeliever, death is the worst thing imaginable. It is separation from God. Remember that we know from the gospel of John that Jesus is life. That was John 1, 4. Jesus is life. Everything that is life flows out of Jesus. And so to die in your sins separated from God is to be separated from all that is good. It is to be cast into, the Bible describes it as outer darkness. Why? Because God is light. Jesus is light. And so to be separated from him is to be separated into outer darkness. It's to be separated from life and from joy and from peace and from beauty and holiness and glory. Death for an unbeliever means to be under the wrath of God for your sins. The people in hell are people who said very clearly with their lives, I'm not interested in God. I'm not interested in Jesus. I, I, I really don't care much about that. I, I care about all this other stuff. I don't want God. I want this other stuff. And hell is a place where you get what you want. You get what you wanted all your life. You don't want to be around God. You don't want the things of God. You don't want the, the, the people of God. If you don't value him, if you, if you don't think he's worth pursuing, if, if you don't want what he did for you on the cross, hell is the place where you've gotten what you've asked for. A place without God, without his glory, without his mercy, without his grace, a place where you pay for your sins under the wrath of God forever and ever. The Bible describes it as a place of weeping and of gnashing of teeth. Luke 16 describes it as a place where the rich man pleads with Abraham that, that Lazarus, a different Lazarus, interestingly enough, would come over and, and dip his his finger in water and come over and put it on his tongue to give him one ounce, one millisecond of relief in this agony that is forever. Without Christ, you should fear death. Honestly, without Christ, you shouldn't take risk. Don't buy a minivan, buy a tank, okay? Like if you are without Christ, 
If you're like, I'm not interested in God, I'm going to take care of myself, then please be careful. Friday, I, I was in Arkansas doing a, a men's retreat, and uh, I had a little break, and so I took off on my bicycle, and I just took off on the, on, you've, you've been in Arkansas, the windy little highway roads, and uh, it was a beautiful, great ride, but it was incredibly, damn, there were cars buzzing by, there was no shoulder, I had to take the ditch a couple times. That, that is a ridiculous thing to do if you're an unbeliever, okay? If I were an unbeliever, I should not have done that, the stakes are too high. One careless driver looking at Facebook on their way to Rogers, and I'd be in eternity eternity without Christ in a place called hell, never able to change my fate again. If you're without Christ, put yourself in a bubble. Savor every precious second of God's grace in this life because those seconds are counting down and hell is awaiting you. But that's not what death is for a believer. Okay, see, it's, it's different. Okay, everything's different for a believer. Jesus has redefined death for a believer. In fact, when he talks about Lazarus' death in verse 11, and this is common in the New Testament, he says, after saying these things, he said to them, my friend, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Okay, he, he, he says he's asleep. Now, that confuses the disciples, which you can see why. They're like, well, hey, if he's sleeping, he's probably okay. He just needs some rest. He just, you know, he had a hard day. He overdid it. You know, heat stroke, whatever. He needs a rest. Okay, no, 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 no. Jesus is saying he's dead, okay? But death for a believer is, is sleep. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that great passage about, about Christ coming and being gathered him in the air. It talks about that we not be too upset about those who have fallen asleep, those who are believers who've died in the Lord. They've, they've fallen asleep. Um, the disciples take Jesus literally. Um, we don't need to make this dangerous. No, no, no. He's really died. His heart has stopped, his lungs have stopped, his organs have stopped. There's no brain function. By four days, even rigor mortis is about over, and his body is decomposing in the tomb. But death is not death for a believer. Death is sleep. And listen, I don't know anybody that is, a, is against sleep, okay? Uh, nobody has a bad connotation about sleep. Nobody, nobody shows up Sunday morning and said, Man, I just slept like a rock last night. It was the most horrible thing ever, you know? Nobody says that. In other words, Jesus chooses this term that is, is pleasant and, and, and beautiful, like he's describing a spiritual reality for us. I, I don't think he's saying somehow like they're unconscious. I, I think, you know, if, you, if you've read your New Testament, where was Lazarus? Well, he was, he was in paradise. He was with the Lord. He's in the presence of the Lord. He was at Abraham's side. There, there's lots of verses that talk about that. He was, he was with Moses and Elijah. And, you know, like he, he wasn't like nowhere. But, but Jesus uses this term that nobody has a bad view of. Okay, death for a believer is sleep. Death for a believer, by the way, will be on time. This is a little aside, but I think it's worth looking at. It, it's in our text, okay? So look at verse 7. Death for a believer will be right on time. Verse 7 says, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea. So he waits two, day, two days, and he's like, Let's go to Judea. The disciples are really nervous about this. They're panicked about that because they just came from Judea. If you remember up in chapter 10, verse 31, the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus. He barely escapes there with his life. And so he's like, all right, guys, let's go back to Judea. And they're like, hey, Jesus, verse, verse 8, do you think this is a good idea? The Jews were seeking to kill you, and now you're going to go there? We just got out of there with our life, and you're going to walk back in there, Jesus? And Jesus says something really interesting about life for a believer. In verse 9, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I go to awakening. Okay, Jesus gives this kind of mysterious little parable here. Basically, he says, hey, there's, there's 12 hours in a day. What, what, what's he saying? Hey, he's saying essentially this. God, God's always on time. We've, we've got this much time to live, okay? He, he's saying, I got, I got 12 hours. I got this much time. There's 12 hours in a day. There's not less. There's not more. There's 12 hours. And nobody's going to shorten it. Nobody's going to lengthen it. That's really what Jesus is saying. He said, my enemies can't shorten the time that I have here and my friends can't lengthen it. You tell me not to go is not going to lengthen my life. You, you know, us, us staying, us going is not going to shorten it. There, there's, there's 12 hours. We got, we got to work. We got to seize the opportunity that we have. Death is redefined for a believer because Jesus is resurrection and life. Look at Jesus' conversation with Martha, first of all. Verse 21 by the way, you know, when, when you read the other gospel accounts, when you read Luke 10 and you find out that Martha's like running around like a chicken with her head cut off, serving everybody, and she gets all hacked off because Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. You, all, you always think that Mary is the theologian and that Martha's kind of, you know, the works. Ba- yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's accurate based on John 11 because Martha's got some good theology here. Look, look at this. She, she is way ahead of everybody. Uh, Luke eleven twenty one. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, look at what she said in verse 22. Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Like, do you see that faith there? She's like, okay, Jesus, you know, if you'd have been here, I, you definitely would have healed him. Um, he's been there four days, but even now, even now, like she's hinting at Jesus, you know, even now, if you ask, God gives you whatever you ask. Look at verse um, 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Again, Martha shows some theology here. Verse 24, Martha says, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's like, yeah, I believe in a resurrection. She knew her Old Testament enough. She'd read Ezekiel. She'd read the, 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 the song that we just sang up there, okay? She'd read that in Ezekiel. She'd read other passages in Ezekiel. She's like, I, I believe there's gonna be a resurrection. When the Christ comes, you know, there's gonna be a resurrection in the last day. And then Jesus looks at her and said, Martha, Resurrection's not a time, it's a person, it's me. I'm the resurrection. Like, that, like it, I'm here. I'm, like, it, resurrection is not this thing in the future. It, resurrection is standing right in front of you, Martha. Resurrection and life is here in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying that resurrection and life are in him. In other words, we don't have to wait for this long time in the future, possible resurrection. Jesus brings it. And if today, if today you've repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you're joined to him, then you have resurrection and life. It has begun. You have been made new. God has taken the old heart out and put a new heart in. He's made you alive, okay? Resurrection and life has begun in you once you're joined to Jesus Christ because it is in him. And so to be joined to him is to be joined to resurrection and life. Jesus brings it. Very soon after this, Jesus would display his glory by rising from the dead, by defeating death. And if we believe, we can be joined to that resurrection life. Today, it can happen for you. Maybe today it has happened for you. You can begin to experience life in the power of the Holy Spirit, hope of eternal life, sin defeating, sin overcoming, joy bringing life in Jesus. He is here and you can be joined to him by faith. Everything we love about life, okay? 
Life is in Jesus. John 1, 4. He's life. He is pleasure, beauty, relationship, meaning, purpose, family, joy. All that is truly good and satisfying flow out of Jesus Christ. And so to be joined to Jesus is to be plugged into all of that, both now in this broken world, but coming into a new world where it will be fullness of all that we love. And Jesus is about to give a visible object lesson for that. If you've noticed what he's been doing in John, uh, he, he really does it throughout the Gospels is he makes this claim and then he proves it, okay? He makes a claim and he proves it, right? So remember in John 6, in John 6, he said what? I'm the bread of life, right? Whoever, whoever feeds on me, I, I'm the thing that will nourish your soul. I am the bread of life. That's a great thing to say, but Jesus, how do we know that that's really true? And he's like, watch this. And he feeds 5,000 people with a Lunchable, okay? Now, what, what was that all about? Is that all about Jesus is solving world hunger? No. What was he doing? He's saying, I want you to see that what I say I can do. That's what you need to hear this morning, that what he says he can do. In John 9, he says, I'm the light of the world, okay? I'm the one that gives light to the world. I'm the one that brings things into clarity, everything into clarity. And then what's he do in John 9? He reaches down and puts some mud on a guy's eyes and he gives him sight, right? Why did he do that? He did that so that you know he is the light of the world. Let's go into another gospel. How about in, uh, in Mark 2? Remember where Jesus sees the, the faith, those four guys? They bring their friend. They uh, tear open the roof. They bring the guy down. And Jesus, Jesus says he saw their faith, and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then, remember what everybody said? All the scribes were like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't forgive sins. How, how can you say you can do that? You know, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, all right, <laughs> let's prove it here, right? And what's he do? He says, well, hey, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise Take up your bed and walk. Well, obviously, it's hard to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, right? Because two seconds after you say it, everybody's going to know whether you had the power to do it. And so he says, take up your bed and walk. The guy gets up. His legs, his paralysis is gone, and he gets up and he walks. And, and the same thing is happening here this morning in John chapter 11. John, Jesus is saying, guys, I'm life. I, I am resurrection and life. And to prove it, he, he, he waits, he waits two days, why? So Lazarus would be in there four days, right? Because if it was just four minutes, you know what people would think, right? Like, hey, if you know CPR, you might bring somebody back in four minutes, right? Like, you know, like if you got them paddles, you know, you know, you might, you might be able to do that, okay? Nobody's doing that after four days. After four days, it is clearly impossible. It is clearly gone. It's over. It's done. All right. And so Jesus does something that is impossible to show you that when he calls you into resurrection and life, it really is resurrection and life. So Jesus is resurrection and life for those who are joined to him by faith. And so death means something different for a believer. In fact, Lazarus is a model, okay? Lazarus is this model for what's coming. Number one, it's a model for what Jesus is about to do himself. Jesus is about to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, and then death is not gonna be able to hold him because he's resurrection and life. And he's gonna rise from the dead on the third day, and he's gonna defeat sin and death, and he's gonna, he's gonna bring with him everybody who's connected to him. But second of all, it's a model for those who'd be born again. 
It, it's a model. It's, it's, it's like you dead in your sins. You spiritually comatose, spiritually uninterested in God, spiritually unalive to truth. And Jesus stands at the tomb of your sin and he calls you out. That's happened to some of you. He calls you out. He speaks to you and you hear his voice. And just like Lazarus, you walk out in your grave clothes. And Jesus is like, all right, it's time to take that stuff off. Get that stuff off. That's, that's your old life, right? That's the old you. Put off the old man. Put off the old flesh. Put off the sinful flesh. You've been made alive in Christ. Get the grave clothes off and begin to live a life of resurrection and power. And thirdly, Lazarus is a model for the physical resurrection of all who are joined to Jesus. There's coming a day, the Bible tells us, when Jesus will cry out and the dead will raise. Elmwood Cemetery will empty out of its dead. And those who are in Christ will be raised to a resurrection of life. And those who are without Christ will go to a resurrection of death and hell forever. So, number one, Jesus is glad that Lazarus died because he has redefined death for a believer. Number two, Jesus is glad that Lazarus has died because there are bigger realities at play than death. Isn't, isn't that a strange sentence if you don't believe in the resurrection of life? Like, how could there be anything bigger than death? Well, there, there are things bigger than death. Your believing that Christ is resurrection and life is more important than Mary and Martha not having to plan a funeral. It's more important than the pain and grief of their brother being struck down in the prime of life. Verse four says, Lazarus' illness is for the glory of God. And what Jesus is telling us is that the glory of God is of the highest value. What the Bible is saying is that seeing more of God experiencing more of his character and glory, which will result in you trusting him, is the highest value. Why? Because when you see his glory, you believe. That's the way this thing works. You, you see the impressiveness of Jesus. You see the power of Jesus. You see the glory of Jesus. And faith is awakened in you. That, 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 that's, that's the only way faith comes about, is you see the character and the person of Jesus Christ, that he can be trusted. And so you begin to believe, you begin to trust him. And so Jesus is saying, that's the highest value in life. That's more important than, than Mary and Martha's grief. It's more important than Lazarus having to die twice. Hey, have you ever thought about that? Poor guy had to die twice. But Jesus says, I'm glad. Why? Because, man, we see something here that we need in order to believe, that we need in order to see that Jesus is this blazing power plant of life, that his voice raises the dead, that, listen, there is no joy, no love, no glorious satisfaction that Jesus' voice cannot bring. Like, his word is that powerful. And you and I seeing that, Jesus will do, and that he can do everything he said he would, is worth it. So don't think that if God loves people, he's going to give them an easy life. Man, this was not easy. Having your brother struck down in the prime of life, that's not easy. Don't, don't think, like a lot of times we equate that, don't we? We're like, well, if Jesus loved me, my car wouldn't break down. If Jesus loved me, well, my, I wouldn't get sick. If Jesus loved me, then this bad thing wouldn't happen. And that, I tell you what, if, that, if, that, if that's true, 
then, then Jesus didn't love the apostles. He didn't love his own son. In other words, God sometimes delays. And there's a deep mystery in the divine delays of God. Why do hard, painful, tragic things happen and we cry out to the Lord and, and God waits? I kind of picture sometimes, I do this to Asher all the time. He's like, want something now, now, now. And I put my hand up like this. So hold up. Sometimes God does that. Mary and Martha are like, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Jesus is like, hold up. Something bigger happened in here. Mary and Martha could not fathom why Jesus did not come immediately, why he didn't heal Lazarus. They'd seen him heal so many others. Why not their brother? Because, guys, something big is happening here. God is at work. God knows what he's doing. The death and resurrection of Lazarus has been one of the greatest blessings to the church for 2,000 years. People, people can trust and know. When we're out at Elmwood Cemetery, putting some, one of our own in the ground, we, we can look at Lazarus and know that he's resurrection and he's life. Here's what I think you're going to be tempted to say. I think you're going to be tempted to say, well, sure, pastor, but... One of the things you're neglecting to see is that, that Jesus knew he was going to raise him in four days. Like, like Jesus was, could be glad just simply because, you know, he knew that, that Lazarus would be raised again. Hold up. Isn't Jesus going to raise you? Isn't Jesus going to raise your loved one that's in Christ? So aren't, aren't we just dealing with a timing issue here? Isn't that all we're dealing with? Mary and Martha had four brutally painful days, followed by a glorious restoration. Jairus, remember that guy? My little girl is sick. Jesus come quickly, trying to get through the crowd. Crowd's all heading away. Jairus is trying to push through, get him there, get him there, get him there. This old woman comes up, grabs the back of Jesus' cloak, you know, power comes out. She's healed of a 12-year affliction. Jesus is like, whoa, this felt power go out of me. What happened? Lady drops down. It was me. I'm sorry. I know I was unclean and I touched you, but you know, you, you healed me. You made me clean. They have this gospel conversation. Your, your faith has made you well, sister. And, and then here comes the messenger through the crowd. Don't, don't bother Jesus no more, but I'm sorry. Your daughter's dead. And then Jairus has... However long, from there to his house, I don't know. Let's, let's give it 40 minutes, All right? Mary Martha had four days. Let's say Jairus had 40 minutes of agony and grief followed by this incredible celebration when Jesus kneels down and says, Talitha Kumai, little girl arise. You might have, I don't know, you might have four minutes. You might have 40 minutes, you might have four days, you might have 40 years, but it's just timing. There, there really isn't a difference. Jesus is going to raise the dead if you're in Christ. The celebration is coming. And your resurrection is better than Lazarus because you just have to die once. <laughs> Lazarus, he'd have to die again and then, and then wait with us for the future. Resurrection. When, when Jesus goes to Mary, 
So he has this conversation with Martha, and then, then Martha goes and calls her sister. Her sister Mary comes, and in verse 32 it says, When Mary came to Jesus, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? And they said him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. There's, there's the memory verse of every second grade boy that has to memorize a verse. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not have opened the eyes of the blind man and also keep this man from dying. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. So what do we make of that? Um, we, we could just make it that, that Jesus was 100% man and his good friend had just died and he sees the grieving sisters and he's tore up and he weeps with them. Um, I'm sure there was some of that, absolutely. Um, but, but let me, if you got those footnotes, do you guys have those footnotes in your Bible, like the little, like little number one and then there's like something in the bottom? My, mine does. And so when I go down to that, uh, when Jesus, in, in verse 33, when it says he was deeply moved, when I go down to that little footnote, it says indignant, okay? And so when I look it up in the Greek, it's, it's actually even, even more than that. It's an intense, fierce emotion that is most, most always, that most always used for like rebuke or warning. Literally, like, like the second definition in the, in the Greek lexicon is to snort, Okay? So, like, have you ever been, like, so just, ah, and, and you let out a, ah, that kind of thing? Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, like, snort, okay? Like, like it's, a, it's an intense kind of eruption of, of indignation, okay? And twice it says, or once it says he, he is that, and then the second one down in verse 33 says he was greatly troubled, which literally means shaken. Stirred up, disturbed, unsettled. Okay, so I'm not claiming to know Jesus' emotions here, but I I just don't want you to, what I don't want you to picture here is is he walks up and Mary's crying and the Jews are crying and everybody's crying and Jesus gets a little tear, you know, and he's like, this is just just really sad. That's not what happened. That's not what the words say. Let let me tell you what I think. I think two things are, are at play here. Number one, Jesus is more furious than de- at death than any of you will ever be. And we get pretty furious at death, okay? But Jesus knows he's about to raise Lazarus, and yet he is furious. He is indignant at the misery and destruction that death robs from his creation. All right? But, if you allow me to present one more thing that I think's going on here, I, I think Jesus is greatly disturbed by unbelief. Now, the reason that I say that is you'll notice in, in his conversation with Martha, it, it goes similar, right? She's like, Lord, if only you'd been there. She said the exact same thing Mary said. Mary only said one thing, Lord, if only you'd been there. Ma- Martha had already said that. And none of this happens. 
Okay, but Martha in her conversation clearly has the seeds of belief. Well, what, what happens in the second conversation that, that, that this points out very clearly? It says when Mary got up, the Jews followed her, right? They followed her. And it says there, Jerusalem was only, or uh, Bethany was only two miles from Jerusalem, so there were many Jews there to comfort him. So it, it makes a point of telling us that a couple times. And then it says this when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. What would those same Jews do in a moment? A few of them would believe after seeing a dead man come out of the tomb for four days, the majority of them would go back to Jerusalem, tell the Pharisees, and if you read the rest of John 11, this is what tips the scales, and they're like, we got to kill this guy. Man. What do you do with people who don't want God that bad? That they can see a guy in the grave four days and see a man call him out and their hearts remained unchanged. I think that's what Jesus is indignant about. I think that's what he is tore up to the point of an emotional outburst over. Is this unbelief? That after raising a man from the dead, people would still say, no thanks. Man, is that you? Are you able to read this story about a, a man rising from the dead and you're able to say, what's for lunch? Can you leave here completely unchanged? Ready to walk into hell to pay for your own sins for an eternity? That's disturbing. And what about us believers? Then we always got to ask the question, if, if I believe this, well, then what? I've told you this story a couple times. It was just the best one I can think of. We're in North Africa. We're sitting across uh, the table from a lady who was, we called her the quarterback, of the mission to find Muslims whom God was awakening. Um, the Taliban had already, ISIS had already issued public death threats if they could find who was doing this. And so we got about 10 or 15 minutes with her. And so I was asking her questions. I, one of the questions I asked her was, I said, do you, do your, she told me she invited people to her house all the time to, to share Jesus with them, to worship together. And I, I said, well, do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? She said, of course, I've told them. I said, so they, they know that you're worshiping there? They know that you're evangelizing? She says, yes, I've, I've told them about Jesus. And I said, what about your, your two little girls? I said, aren't you afraid for them? You know, she had two, like, grade school girls. She grabs a table. She leans across. She says, I have eternal life. She believed that. She believed just like Jesus said. I, are there not 12 hours in a day? I'm not leaving here. Before it's time, and I'm not staying in one day longer, and they can't kill me. 
So what is your belief in Jesus leading you to do? That's my question. We'll leave that there and ask the Holy Spirit to help. Father, thank you for this gift. Jesus, nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too much for you. Jesus, you're going to do everything you said you would do. You've proven it. Father, help us to respond in belief today. God, help us not to be afraid. God, help us not to be afraid of death. Help us not to be afraid of of whatever the cost is for following you, serving you, sharing about you, giving our testimony, proclaiming your truth, walking in holiness. God, I pray that you would just give us an engine for all of that, Father, as we trust you, as we are confident that you're everything the Bible says you are. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name.